Turn to Romans 7, please. Romans chapter 7 in your Bible. I want to say welcome to any guests that are with us for the first time. It is truly good to have you here. And um, of course, we've changed a few things around so that we can uh, worship while staying a little bit distant. And uh, thank you for your patience with that. But welcome to Calvary. And we do trust it's a blessing and encouragement to you. Before I read our text in Romans chapter 7, I want to tell you a little bit of what we'll be talking about today. If we wanted to use one word to describe what we're going to be studying, that word would be law. So that's, I don't see anybody jumping real, real fast when I say that law rules. That doesn't seem to be very appealing to most people today. And yet the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 7, he's already opened up in chapter 6 and going into 7 the contrast between grace and law. And we're going to find that Paul in his typical fashion is asking questions that he think would normally come about as he writes this letter. We've seen that a couple times already, haven't we? Chapter 6 started, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Then we began, I believe it was 6.14, where he asked another question. And we're going to see an additional question today. So understand, Paul is kind of anticipating with these themes that he is teaching, the questions that people will ask. And so he asks the question, and then he answers the question. When talking about the law, I don't want you to tune out. I think there are, are a couple very practical applications from just these few verses that we're going to see today. And let me put this in your mind as we read through the text and then as we walk through the message today. We're going to be looking at and hopefully having some very practical applications with the difference in being forced to do something as opposed to doing something because you want to. Most of us understand there are some things you do because you don't have a choice. You have to do that. And then there are some things that you do and you don't have to do it, but you are very happy and very thrilled to do that. We're going to see uh, both of these today, but I want to read for us our text starting in verse number 7 of Romans 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond 
measure. When we look at the Apostle Paul writing this and expanding on the idea of the law and what place that law is going to have in our lives, he starts with a question and he closes with a question. And there's some verses in between that are a challenge for us at a a simple uh, reading of that. But as we dig in, I think that we're going to see how the law is going to be valuable for us today. Also, for how the law is valuable for not only us, but for everybody here in this world. I find it interesting the different conversations that stick in my memory with young people that I've had over the years. There are some things that have been said by young people that they're just, maybe they make you smile or laugh, or maybe you just think they don't know what they're talking about because of their inexperience. I can remember talking to a a senior in high school uh, several years ago, and this senior was going through a process in his home where he was a bit tired of the rules. He was a bit tired of people telling him what to do. And so he shared with me what his plan was to get out of that kind of a situation. He was graduating and he said, well, I'll tell you, Pastor Jeremy, what I'm going to do is I'm going to join the Marines. And that way, nobody's going to be telling me what I have to do anymore. Now, I didn't take the time to stop him and, and maybe show him a video of a drill sergeant yelling in his face. I just thought to myself, This is probably a good lesson for somebody to learn on their own. When we think of that, there's no doubt that there are some lessons that we learn along the way. God is so patient with you and with me. He's so good to allow us to walk through and to learn things, sometimes at our own pace. But there are rules everywhere, aren't there? When we think of young people and children, there are rules. Aren't you glad for that? When you think of uh, the rules of the road, rules we have to drive by. Some of you might think of your job, where you work. There are certain rules that you have to follow. In our state, we have rules. In our nation, we have specific rules and laws. And if you are one that is like a person that wants to have as few people as possible telling you what to do, like that young man I was talking to, if you go through your life and set up your life where you have as few authority figures telling you what to do, I want to suggest to you that every one of us is still going to have a list of rules that we abide by. There is a moral code that every person has in their life. It's funny when people say, I don't want to have any rules. We don't want any rules or laws. Well, that's almost a law in itself, isn't it? Just to say that. Our rule is you can't have any rules. Hold on a second. And so when we think of people that don't want to have something over them, I want to remind us, every one of us has some kind of a moral code that we live by. I'm going to show us a couple of reasons. What we'll see in God's Word today are a couple of reasons why people live by a certain set of rules. Now, the first set of rules that we're going to talk about applies to everybody in this world. And the second thing that we're going to talk about at the close of our message applies only to people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Only to those who follow Jesus Christ. And that second set is the key to us having a close walk with 
our God. All right, all of that to bring us to our text here in Romans 7. Let me give a little bit of review. If you were here for when we started this study in Romans, you might remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this book and giving us some of the most wonderful deep truths that we find in the scriptures. And likely one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that he gave it, was because there were people in the church that had a different set of rules, right? There were some people in the church that had a dietary rule that made them vegetarians. There were others in the church that had dietary rules that made them carnivores, right? If we can say that. And there was a problem because people were trying to impose what they wanted for themselves that was not clear in God's word upon somebody else. This is such a helpful lesson for us today. And so remember, there was a problem in the church with rules. Now, we've also talked about in Romans 6, getting victory over sin. We've also talked about this contrast of grace and law. And then at the end of our study last time, we learned about the wonderful benefit of being able to produce fruit as we are energized by the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind. Romans 7, 6. Look at it there if you have your Bible open. Romans 7, 6. We serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So we see a contrast going on here. And when Paul writes that, I'm going to suggest that he is anticipating something. He's anticipating that when he writes, we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, that some people are going to have a specific reaction to the written code. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give a letter A and a letter B that are the main points from the text. I'm also going to give a a 1 and a 2 that are very practical applications. So letter A to start us off. The law reveals how bad I am and how good God is. We're talking about the law. And here the Apostle Paul writes, and in verses 7 and 8, we can learn clearly that without a set of guidelines, without some kind of order in our community, in our home, in our world, then doing right is simply going to be guesswork, right? If we take all the laws, throw them out the window, all God's laws, throw them out, then doing right and doing wrong is simply going to be guesswork for people. And that's going to be a challenge for so many because people are going to have different opinions on that. To expand on this point, and Paul mentions there the sin of coveting. He says, I would not have known what it was to covet unless the law told me thou shalt not covet. I am amazed how often Jesus Christ talks about coveting in the Gospels. I've been going through Luke uh, myself personally, and after I knew we were going to talk about covetousness, I listened for how many times that came up in the teachings of Jesus. We have an example of Jesus Christ. He's approached by a rich young man. And the rich young man asks Jesus a question, and Jesus answers the question totally different than I would. Even though I know what Jesus says in his answer, I still wouldn't answer the same way. Now, I'm not saying I know better than Jesus. But let me read part of the text for you with the rich young ruler. 
give you the situation. And then I want us to understand what Jesus was trying to teach, not necessarily about eternal life on the short term, but what he was trying to teach about the law, what we can learn about the law. We find that this rich young man comes to Jesus and asks him this question. And for some of you who are looking for an opportunity for evangelism, you want to hear this question. Here's what he asked Jesus. He said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, some of you have the answer for that question. If someone comes to you and says, what do I have to do to make sure I'm going to heaven? I've got the answer for you. You might take him to John 3.16. You might take him down the Romans road. Jesus Christ says, how do you read the law? And the young man loved that response because this young rich man had kept the law. He had kept the law in a wonderful way. So, they list all, all these things are listed that the man has to keep. And the guy, basically, you can almost see his chest puffing out a little bit, talking to this good teacher, this good master, because he says, listen, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. That's what he says in, in the vernacular. All of these laws I've kept, I'm good to go. And Christ says, hold on a second. One thing you still lack. And this is where the answer confuses me a bit. I want you to go. I want you to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And we're told that that young man hung his head and walked away sad because great was his wealth. Jesus Christ did not give an 11th commandment. He didn't add an 11th to the big 10 that's there. It's not what he did. He did not give an additional rule, but what he did was he probed deeper. He went and he pressed this young man on the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet. And when he was pressed in this area, and we're told the young man had great possessions, he was forced to deal with the law in this way. He really was not keeping the law, thou shalt not covet. Because when Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have, that's when he said, boy, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go that far with it. Jesus goes deeper. Now Paul, as he writes this, historically had a pattern himself of trying to keep the law perfectly. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll remember where he gives that resume of who he was and what he's done. It's an impressive resume. So Paul had a history of being one that tried to keep the law perfectly. But here's what we must understand about this. Prior to Paul's conversion, prior to when he was saved on the road to Damascus, we understand that all of the good goals that he had, all of the things that he thought were spiritual and right, every one of those, without exception, was made available by keeping the law. That's how he lived his life. He lived by the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He did his best to keep all of those. So this is in his mindset. And for us today, I think it is a very fair application for people who are outside of the body of Christ to say that all of the good goals that they have, 
If they're trying to have good purpose in life, be a good person, trying to get to heaven, so talking about unbelievers here, all of the good and lofty goals, even heaven, all of those good and lofty goals, they believe are made available to them by simply a list of rules or a code or laws. That's how most religious systems are set up outside of Christianity. I think this is why if you talk to a person about heaven and you ask them that question, if you were to die, do you know if you go to heaven or not? So many people would say, I I think so. I think I would. What's going to drive people to think that they're going to go to heaven? They're going to examine their life. They're going to look at how well they have lived. I've kept the laws pretty good. Paid my taxes, stayed out of jail. I've done pretty good. In fact, I know some people compared to them, man, I'm a superstar compared to them. I think I'll probably get to heaven. This is the way many people will think. And that's why you need to understand this about the law. God did not give us the law to change human hearts. The law was never given to change human hearts. Instead, what did God give us to change human hearts? He gave us the gospel. The law is pointing us to Jesus Christ. It's pointing us to a work that Christ would do. Let me give one more example from the life of Christ in this area um, of trying to understand the law. It is when Jesus Christ was calling his 12 to follow him. Is anybody else here encouraged by the variety of people that were in the 12 disciples? I am. It was heavy on fishermen, I know, but there were a lot of people in there. A lot of different kinds of folks that had different things to bring to the group. One person that Christ brought to the group was a tax collector whose name was Levi. And the Pharisees, the people who kept the law, they hated this. They couldn't stand this idea that Levi was in this inner circle. Not only was he in the inner circle, but then Levi had a get-together, a nice big meal, and he invited his friends, his sinner friends, to come to that meal. And there's Jesus, and there's some of the other disciples. And the Pharisees hated it. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 5. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus gives the answer that we need to understand when we're approaching this idea of trying to keep the law as good as we can to please God. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says something else that takes us back a little bit, takes me back. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Hold on. I thought he died for everybody. He's not come to, come to call the righteous to repentance? Jesus is not saying that someone who lives a good life cannot come to repentance and go to heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. Instead, what Jesus is saying here is that a person, if they're going to become a follower of Christ, if they're going to be a Christian, 
then they have to get to a place where they understand there is absolutely nothing they can do to lift themselves up, to help themselves. No matter how well you keep that law, you cannot earn God's favor. And so you have to get to a point where you realize, I am sick and the only thing that can help me is by someone else helping me. The great physician, Jesus Christ. We learned last time that we have a freedom to serve God that comes by the energizing of the Holy Spirit. And this comes once a person realizes they're in need of a physician. I cannot do it on my own. This is the proper effect of the law. Now, we've been talking about the law. We've looked at some things that don't speak very highly about the law. And so what is the, the question that Paul might be anticipating? If there's some things going wrong with this law, if this is, boy, this seems a little bit dire sometimes, Paul will be anticipating that they're going to ask a question. Now in verses 7, 10, or 9, 10, and 11, we find the promise of life in the law, the promise of life coming through the law falls short. And I think it's fair to say that every system that any man or woman has ever set up to try to have value in this life, have purpose, or go to heaven, any system will fall short, just like the law would fall short. If I can refer to Jesus Christ again, back in the Sermon on the Mount, when he went over those laws they were familiar with, you have heard it said of old, and he listed that law. And then commonly Jesus would say, but I say unto you, and he would add something. He was talking about the spirit of that law. You say you haven't killed anybody. Well, kudos to you. I'm telling you, if you've ever hated anybody, you're guilty of murder. And he went on in that same tone. And the purpose in the Sermon on the Mount was to get people to understand that they cannot keep the law perfectly. And also, beautifully in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that we are introduced to the one, the only one who would ever keep the law perfectly. All right, we said we were going to have a couple different reasons for why people keep a set of rules. Here's the first reason. Why people live by a certain set of rules, reason number one, is intrinsic value. There is an intrinsic value in keeping some rules. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but let me set this up with an illustration. Let me illustrate a little bit. This is not a true story. There's a woman, and she sees on the news a report that there is some maniac driving the wrong way up the highway. And she knows that is a highway that her husband commonly drives on. So she gets a hold of him on the phone, and she calls him, and she says, Honey, listen, pay attention. I just saw on the news there's somebody driving backwards up the highway that you come down this time of day. So I need you to be careful. And the husband responded, Honey, it's worse than you think. There's not just one person driving backwards. There's dozens of them driving backwards. All right. So that's, that, that's funny. I like that. That brings a smile to my face. But I want to, I, I want to bring two applications from that. One of them we're going to see at the very end. And one of them we're going to see right now with this reason why people obey a certain set of rules. Because there is an intrinsic value. What that means is there's a cause and effect. 
This does not just apply to believers. This is not only for children of God. We find in the book of Proverbs all kinds of rules, guidelines, commands, precepts that people who do not know Christ, if they will follow them, they can benefit from them. If you're an honest and good businessman, you will prosper. You don't have to be a Christian to benefit from that teaching in the Bible. If you're kind to others, it oftentimes follows that they are kind back to you. There's an intrinsic value to living by a set of rules. Most of you have learned that by experience. You've had a rule that wasn't a part of your life, and you have found that, honestly, your life is a little bit easier if you live by those rules. That's one reason, and there is, I want you to listen to this, there is some value to that. It's a temporal value here in this world. But we should be thankful for this value that comes by living by a set of rules. Why obey the law? Well, honestly, life is better if we live by the rules that God has given us. Let me give you the second point from our text today, letter B. Letter B is this. The law seen through God's grace. If you're taking notes, you have to write that part down. The law seen through God's grace increases our love for God. We find in verses 12 and 13 an overreaction. Paul was anticipating with all this talk about the law and these folks who completely lived by the law before, there may be a reaction to where they're going to want to totally get rid of the law. Should we get rid of that law? Is that what is making us sin? Is the question that he asks. And then he answers that question. And the fact is, many of us, not all of us, but many of us are overreactors. Don't raise your hand with me, but I'm an overreactor myself. What I mean by that is, when someone is not in the right place, maybe they're to the extreme on one side or the other of something, and it comes about... They're they're awakened to the fact that they need to have a change. It is so common with so many of us that when that change comes, we change from this extreme position, and then as we're going, I use the pendulum illustration a lot. As that pendulum starts to swing, it's important that it stop in the right balanced place. But what do so many of us do? We go too far, and some go way over here. An overreaction. The Apostle Paul anticipates that some will say, let's just get rid of the law. You just said, in our our last time together, we saw that the law actually stirs up something within me that makes me want to break that rule. Some of you confess that sin. I saw you nodding your heads when you see a wet paint sign that you want to go and touch that thing to see if it's really wet. Just yesterday on a news program, I heard a, just a, someone make this comment. Whenever there are rules and laws in place, it naturally makes people want to break that. And so, the Apostle Paul anticipates that some of them in the church are going to say, no rules, throw it all out. And that's why he describes in Romans 7:12 what the law is. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. 
So we do not take this thing that is good and we do not throw it out. Let me illustrate. Let's say you're talking to an individual who's in, who's in jail. They are in jail for theft. They're in, fa- in jail for assault. And the two went together. Let's say you're having a conversation with this gentleman. As you talk to him, he tells you exactly what the problem is. The problem is not that he committed theft. The problem is not that he assaulted somebody in that same, uh, in that same process. The problem is there's some clown somewhere that made a law against theft. And there's somebody that made a rule somewhere that you go to jail if you beat somebody up. And if these laws didn't exist, there would just be no problems. And if you're like me, you might look that guy in the eye and be glad that he's kind of locked up behind bars, right? Because that is not the case. The problem is not that there were laws that were in place. From Psalm 19, we get a good description of the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then it says, more to be desired are they than gold. They are sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. So Paul says, not so fast. We don't throw out the law. We've already seen there is an intrinsic value to the law. We need to understand that the problem is not the law. The problem is the law maker, the law breaker, the law breaker. And that is you, and that is me. We have all broken God's law. So remember, the law is good. But God did not give the law to change the human heart. God gave the gospel to change human hearts. And then one more idea behind how the law helps us. The book of Romans and the book of Galatians are the two best books that parallel uh, law and grace. Law and grace. They teach about that. And in Galatians 3, 23 through 24, it says this. Now, before faith, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say and not miss any part of it. Because when we think of the law and we think of God, if you think of God's law apart from the salvation and grace that is offered, you will not think of God as a God of love. If you think of God's law and God's rules and God's power and what He's doing and you do not bring into it the grace of God, then you will think of God as a tyrant and not a God of love. But if you have experienced the amazing grace of God then you understand that you do not have to keep these laws because you're trying to work your way to heaven. You do not keep these commandments or these precepts or your code that you have set up in your life. You do not keep these so that you won't get zapped by lightning by God. Instead, 
when we know the grace of God, we keep these things not because we have to, but because we what? Because we want to. I'm not doing all these things to earn my way to heaven. It is when I look at the price that my heavenly father paid and he sent his son who died on a cross and Jesus willingly laid down his life and took upon his shoulders the sins of the world, the horrible physical punishment and that horrible moment when his father turned his face away. And when I see that, when you view the law through grace, you will say, I'm not doing these things because I have to. You will say, I'm going to do these things because I want to. Oh, how I love Jesus. I want to be Christ-like. The commands and instructions that God has given us so often are a reflection of his character. And so that's why we keep those. All right, what can we do with this? What can we do? And then we'll look at that second reason why people live by a certain set of rules. First of all, what you can do is you can enjoy the effects that God's law brings, this intrinsic value. Enjoy it. Live a good life. Obey. Be honest. Be kind. Be generous. Be humble. Be patient. Stand up for what is right. Do these things and then enjoy the natural response in God's world that will oftentimes come. I know that sometimes bad things happen to good people and I I know sometimes good things happen to bad people. I get that. But for the most part, when we follow God's laws, there is a natural response that we enjoy. And then what else can we do with this? Well, we respond with worship. I'm going to expand on this. Respond with worship. If you are in the group of people who are off the hook regarding the eternal payment for any broken laws. Every one of us is a lawbreaker. If you have not yet realized it, we are all in need of a physician. Nobody here can self-diagnose and then get ourselves better on our own to where we're pleasing to God. He did not come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. And when you get to that point where you call on him for forgiveness, you should worship if you are off the hook with any eternal punishment. All right, let me come back to that that cute illustration about the guy driving the wrong way down the road, okay? I've never done that myself. Here's a guy, gets a call from his wife. Honey, there's a maniac driving the wrong way down the road. Oh, Babe, it's worse than you think. There's dozens of them. So this guy's going the wrong way. Now, is there an, if I can use that word, intrinsic, is there an intrinsic result that's going, that could come immediately from what he's doing? Absolutely. Driving the wrong way down the road, there could be a horrible wreck. And so there could be an immediate result that he would face for that. Now also, we understand that driving the wrong way down the road is against the law. And so a person can get a ticket for doing that. Here's what we need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, you will not have to pay for the ticket. You see, you're a lawbreaker but someone else has already paid the price for the ticket, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
Those who will not receive a ticket for the broken laws are those who understand God's grace. And so don't allow that pendulum to swing and say, we don't have to have any rules or laws. Let's go way over here. No, stop in the right place where you still have laws and rules and codes. But the reason that you do those is not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven. The reason you do those is because you look back at the cross. And God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, be separated in a place called hell, but shall have eternal life. I don't do those things because I have to. Oh, I want to. We love our God and we allow our lives to reflect that love by the choices and decisions that we make. Anybody that you come up in this world that does not know Jesus, they need to get to that point where they recognize they're in need of a physician. They don't, 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 don't convince somebody to start keeping the rules for any religious purposes. Now, there can be some value that would come from obeying the laws and keeping the rules, but that's all very temporary. Some value, but the wonderful, eternal value is going to come when someone sees your life and that you are different. And the reason that you are different is not because you're scared you're going to get struck with lightning and not because you're trying to earn God's pleasure, God's, God's favor. But it instead is because you love your God. And that's what defines you. And that's how you apply the law in your life. Let's pray. Oh, our, our loving Father, how good it is to know you. How good it is to look into your word and to know that this church that was struggling so long ago with people that were disagreeing with one another, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the lesson for them, taking them back to the point where none of them is better than another. They were all dug from the same horrible pit and they were going to need to treat one another in a way that would show that not one is better than the other. We thank you for the great sacrifice that is applied to us that know Jesus Christ. We thank you for your patience. We praise you that we can benefit temporarily in this world by living in a way that pleases you. But oh, how we praise you more for the wonderful fact that we will not have to pay the price for any broken laws in our life because the wrath of God was poured out on Christ on the cross and it is done. We thank you that Christ said it is finished. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to take just a moment to pray and I want to give you a chance to pray today. If you're here and I'll give a couple different things that you might want to pray about. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. If that is you, then I would encourage you to um, understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He died not because of anything that he did, but because of you being a lawbreaker. And because of that sacrifice, he offers forgiveness and salvation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so even in the quietness of this time, you can pray and ask God to save you. As the piano plays, maybe you're here today. And God has spoken to you in another way. Maybe you need to set up some codes in your life that are going to reflect Christ. Maybe you need to take a look and not be so judgmental of others that have a, dis a different a mindset than you do about some things.
take just a moment to pray while the piano plays.